His face was a strong, a very strong aquiline, with high bridge of a thin nose and arched nostrils, with lofty domed forehead and hair growing scantily around the temples, but profusely elsewhere. His eyebrows were very massive, almost meeting over the nose, and with bushy hair that seemed to curl in its own profusion. The mouth, so far as I could see it under the heavy moustache, was fixed and rather cruel-looking, with peculiarly sharp white teeth. These protruded over the lips, whose remarkable ruddiness showed astonishing vitality in a man of his years. For the rest, his ears were pale and at the tops extremely pointed. The chin was broad and strong and the cheeks firm, though thin. The general effect was one of extraordinary pallor. Here, thereto, I had noticed the backs of his hands as they lay on his knees in the firelight, and they had seemed rather white and fine. But seeing them now close to me, I could not but notice that they were rather coarse, broad, with squat fingers. Strange to say, there were hairs in the centre of the palm. The nails were long and fine and cut to a sharp point. As the Count leaned over me and his hands touched me, I could not repress a shudder. It may have been that his breath was rank, but a horrible feeling of nausea came over me, which, do what I would, I could not conceal. The Count, evidently noticing it, drew back, and with a grim sort of smile which showed more than he had yet done, his protuberant teeth sat down again on his own side of the fireplace. We were both silent for a while, and as I looked towards the window I saw the first dim streak of the coming dawn. There seemed a strange stillness over everything, but as I listened I heard, as if from down below in the valley, the howling of many wolves. The Count's eyes gleamed and he said, Listen to them, the children of the night, what music they make. And welcome to What a Screen, the podcast where I, your host, Ogali Mastali, chats with a special guest about horror films. And together we dissect, discuss, and spoilerific detail two horror movies that have to do with a particular subject or theme that I've previously randomly picked. Um, so this week, the theme is one that is very close to my heart, uh, being from Ireland. Um, it is Dracula. Bah, 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 bah. Uh, <laughs> an awful, awful, awful uh, rendition of Dracula there. Um, <laughs> so it is an 1897 Gothic novel by Irish author Bram Stoker. And from its very small beginnings, it has now become one of the most popular um, pop culture icons of all time everyone knows who Dracula is and what Dracula is and when you say Dracula to a person everybody has kind of the same um image of a very aristocratic eastern European gentleman um with a big long cape um and you know it's it's transformed from this gothic novel character to um, a character that's been in countless numbers of uh, horror movies and TV shows and children's TV shows like Sesame Street, we've got The Count. Um, and it, 
you know, they're even, Count Dracula's even on a cereal box in the States. Um, so I always think it would be really interesting to see what Bram Stoker would think of his character if he could see how big Dracula has become. Um, so the novel was, as I said, written by Irish author Bram Stoker. Uh, it was published in 1897 and it introed the character of Count Dracula and the many vampire traditions within um, the kind of fantasy setting. Uh, it tells of the Count's journey from Transylvania to England. Um, so we are introduced to uh, the character of Jonathan Harker, who is a solicitor, and he travels to Transylvania to um, chat with the Count and help him purchase uh, Carfax Abbey in Perfleet and to move over to England. Now, while there, uh, Jonathan is uh, trapped and held prisoner, and he is um, kind of assaulted by three of Dracula's uh, brides, who are also vampires. And then Dracula hops onto a ship and he kills all the crew and <laughs> travels to England. Now, in England, we have some more characters. We have Mina Murray, who is Jonathan's fiance, waiting his return, and her friend Lucy, Westerner who um, has these three love interests that make up this lovable band of heroes. So we've got Dr. John Seward, who works in the local sanitarium, as they called it at the time. Um, Quincy Morris, who is an American kind of ranger. And then we've got Arthur Holmwood, who's kind of more of the, the rich, aristocratic English gentleman. Um, so after Dracula's ship lands in England, Lucy falls victim to the Count's curse. She becomes very ill and uh, Seward decides to bring in his old Professor Abraham Van Helsing to see what he can do for her. Uh, Van Helsing is the one that introduces the concept of vampirism and kind of he kind of lets us know what vampires are, what the traditions are surrounding stuff like the garlic and the flowers and, you know, the stake through the heart and the, the concept of um, blood transfusion. Um, so Lucy unfortunately dies and it is up to her uh, three love interests to go and kind of kill her and um, save the town from her. Uh, so... When Jonathan returns, they realize that they must hunt this count and kill him as a vampire. Um, Mina has a special connection with the count. And it's kind of this whole novel is told through diary entries, through letters, through a ship's log, through telegrams, through newspaper articles. It's a really interesting way of uh, writing this novel. So props to Bram for that. Before writing Dracula, Stoker spent several years studying European folklore and vampire mythologies, mostly being influenced by Emily Gerard's 1885 essay, Transylvania Superstitions. Now, the actual Count Dracula character was said to be heavily influenced by um, the Romanian ruler of Wallachia, Vlad III Dracula, um, which Stoker kind of learnt about um, while he was researching all his Eastern European um, folklores. So he kind of, he took the name Dracul, which means the devil or uh, dragon in Old Romanian, and he used that as his character. Um, 
So at the time, Stoker was working uh, for the Lyceum Theatre and he's kind of, his idea was that he, he kind of wanted to make it a stage play. Um, but Irving, Henry Irving, who was the manager at the time, never agreed to do a stage version. Um, so unfortunately, um, Bram Stoker uh, died very poor and penniless and his widow had to sell uh, the notes and um, a few things from Dracula just to kind of stay afloat. So um, it was it was really sad that the success came posthumously. So then in 1922, um, there was a stage show, which then became a film, that kind of, it took the story of Dracula and it made it Nosferatu. So the people who made this, this show and this movie did not have the rights to Dracula, so his widow was able to take them to court over legal battles. Um, so then... Uh, she gave the rights to the American Universal Film Studios and they created the 1931 um, movie from the stage show that Bela Lugosi had actually been playing Crown Dracula in previously. And since then, the book has never been out of print. So, as I said, it, it, it took off. Bela Lugosi kind of created this, the look of the character of Dracula. And from the Universal, we then went on to Hammer Horror, who had plenty of Dracula versions. Um, we've had stuff like Dracula 2000, Bram Stoker's Dracula. We've had Dracula appear in Buffy and Supernatural. And as I said, also kids' TV characters such as Sesame Street's account. Um, so this week, my special guest is author Elaine Pascal, and together we discuss two Dracula films. That's 1931's Universal Studios' Dracula, starring Bela Lugosi, and also um, the Francis Ford Coppola, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, starring Gary Oldman as the Count, uh, Keanu Reeves as Jonathan Harker, and Winona Ryder as Mina Murray. So I would like to uh, welcome to What a Scream, Elaine Pascal. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How is your end of the world with everything going on right now? You know, I can't complain. I've been working steadily. I've been working remotely prior, so mm. nothing really changed for me. Um, the only thing that is upsetting for me is that I have children that are in their 20s, and this is when they should be going to clubs and nightclubs yeah. and raves, and you know, and they're kind of stuck at home playing cards. And not with they li don't live with me, but I hear from them, you yeah. know, oh, it's Saturday night, and I'm just sitting here staring at my phone, and and that's sad. I can't wait for life to get back to normal for them, but for me, yeah. it's proceeded pretty normally. Oh, that's such a shame. Cause, like, I don't. I, like I'm in my 30s and I have a, a three-year-old so that's you know okay. they're the two viewpoints that I have and I've kind of forgotten all about the 20-year-olds where they should be out and having fun socializing yeah. and you know yeah. getting into trouble but getting themselves out of it at the same time they're not getting that exactly. good like social learning that we got yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I've always been an introvert. I love to just stay home and watch like scary movies with my cat. So like, really for me, I'm like, this is fine. I've, I've been preparing for this my whole life. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I was built for this. <laughs> um, so for anyone that doesn't know, would you like to introduce yourself and give us a bit of background on who you are? Sure. So I'm Elaine Pascal. I am a horror writer. I write um, mostly short fiction, but I do have some longer pieces out there. You can find out about my writing on my website, which is elainepascal.com or on my Amazon author page or Goodreads author page. I also review horror writing. Um, my area of love is the graphic novel. I really enjoy that. I also review horror films. So I'm I have my niche. I really have yeah. my area yeah. where I am. And what got you into writing? I've always been writing. I've been writing before I knew how to write. I was, mm-hmm. you know, writing stories in my head, asking my parents to write them down. Um, I've just always, it's just always been, I guess, an outlet or just yeah. fun for me. And who are your biggest influences? I love um, Chuck Palahniuk, the, you know, Fight uh-huh, Club yeah, of author. Yeah. He's God, he's a gorgeous writer. Um, and horror, Clive Barker was a big influence on mine when I was a teenager. Um, Stephen King, obviously, you can't yeah. not mention him. Flannery O'Connor mm-hmm. was a big influence as well. I mean, I'm just, I'm constantly reading and I'm constantly impressed and, and surprised at how many talented writers are out there, especially when I look at the horror films that are going to be released next year and it's all a reboot of The Exorcist. Yeah. Another Halloween, another Friday the 13th. I'm like, there are so many stories out there <laughs> that would make really cool films. Yeah, that's what my actually we I do a little mini episode every week with my little sister and we review films. Um, and we were talking about um, Western remakes of Asian films and how it's really unnecessary and all these remakes it's just really like surely surely there are some great screenwriters out there writing amazing original films and like why aren't they being pushed you know like why do we keep going back to remakes <laughs> so annoying um so we connected through the women in horror month group um, as a woman in horror writing do you find that it is a bit more difficult to be you know a female author amongst such a boys club when you think about it I when I'm trying to get things published I don't feel any sort of stigma or any sort of differential treatment however there have been times when I've been reviewing anthologies like I did this really I reviewed a really cool werewolf anthology and I said hey there are no women no women yeah. writers out of the 16 authors. Mm. That's strange. Mm. You know, yeah. that, that'll that happen. Yeah. There's this big imbalance often in collections and things yeah. or when you go to yeah. conventions and, you know, it, it does feel like there's an imbalance. But personally, when I'm trying to publish things, I don't feel any sort of like, oh, you're a woman, I'm going to, you know, yeah. this will be at the bottom yeah. of the flush pile. I don't feel that at all. Yeah. I mean, it's strange, like when there isn't, um, someone who isn't like a cis male involved in anthologies, as you say, because obviously Mary Shelley was the original sci-fi kind of uh, writer. She created this amazing character and story. And it's just, 
you know, women almost invented the genre, you know, that kind of way. Yeah. Like, and even Bram Stoker went back to a lot of the yeah. um, mythos from the female gothic, you know, the female gothic writers. That's right. From a century before him with like the damsel in distress, all those kinds of things. You know, he pulled those into Dracula. So he was also a fan of those women writers. Yeah. Um, so how did you get into horror? What was your first kind of foray into it? That's what I've always written. I don't yeah. <laughs> <know>. <laughs> People have tried to talk me out of it. It's just what comes out. I've always loved it. Um, I had a really kooky grandmother, as many of us have, that, you know, would read yeah. me ghost stories mm-hmm. and scary stories and tell me, and we would love to try to scare mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. And I've just always loved it. I find horror to be incredibly cathartic. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. when we're living in the world we're living in today where things are so uncertain and so scary, I love to watch a scary movie and kind of release those feet, you know, go, <gasps> they get really scared and, yeah. and get it mm-hmm. all out. And so I've just always loved it. I've always, you know, I'm not, when I want to relax and disengage from the world, I don't want rom-com. I don't want drama. I don't want to see other people like dying of disease. You know, yeah. there's enough mm-hmm. of that in my real life. I want to escape and horror is an escape. Yeah, I completely get it. At the moment, I am watching um, Fear of the Walking Dead. Um, so I finished okay. Walking Dead. Obviously, they're, the new episode's coming out one by one. So I finished that, and we've moved on to Fear of the Walking Dead. And the problem I have with it is it's just too much like real life. There's not enough oh, okay. zombie horror in it. And so I'm just like, I just mm. it just feels like this is what I'm living through, but not in the fun zombie bashing brains kind of way. I find it quite <laughs> stressful, whereas a lot of the time when I watch horror, releases that stress you know it releases that anxiety and that stress for me um do you remember what the very first horror film you saw was oh my goodness I mean I know I watched Jaws like on tv when I was very very little I was too young to see it in the theaters um I see honestly I think it was like a Christopher Lee Dracula okay I really that's what's coming to my head was one of those I remember this like he attacked this woman and someone is like a church bell is ringing and she actually fell out of the bell and had all this blood around her neck and I was (laughs) I was a little young for it what the heck is this yeah I think that was I think Dracula was my first and do you think that shaped you in any way to kind of go towards well I've always loved vampires vampires are my favorite 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 monster yeah and they're just fascinating especially when you look you know globally at how the vampire is different in different Mm. cultures and I you know I've just always been fascinated with the vampire um I you know it's funny because I think in terms of shaping me I think it's not so much shaping me but my interest in horror is I just, I don't really like violence very much. Like I'm a person who's always like, don't fight, keep the peace. You know, I'm very, I don't like boxing. I don't like, I like football, but I don't like, you know, other things that are violent. I don't like hunting. I don't like, and I think, so I'm, I'm curious about horror and violence mm. and anger mm. and rage because it's not something that's within me. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I've always been really interested in vampires from such a young age like my favorite Sesame Street character was the Count like (laughs) I was obsessed with Dracula from such a young age I was obsessed with vampires um I went a bit into witches for a while but it's always been vampires Mm -hmm. you know I was Mm -hmm. as a teenager it was always Buffy the Vampire Slayer um 
I was obsessed with like the Lost Boys. Um, oh, yeah. I wanted I remember people used to ask me when you grow up what do you want to be and I used to say I want to be a vampire like that was <laughs> that was the job I was hoping for when I was younger <laughs> and um, I was obsessed with like mythologies from all around the world and folklore and even when I'm I went so to happy college, you didn't mention Twilight <laughs> oh no I was never I liked one of the actors in it uh, Jackson Rathbone yeah. who was like he's the really cool guy oh yeah oh he's lovely yeah, yeah. and like yeah. I met him and he was lovely so that was the only oh. I had with Twilight otherwise I was just like no these aren't vampires vampires don't exactly sparkle. they're not not. no <laughs> absolutely exactly. not. that was always my like this is this is so not the mythology I don't want anything to do yeah. with it um I I appreciate and respect people that want to be into it you go do you but I was just like it's not for me but uh even when I went to college I studied anthropology and for my uh thesis I did eastern european burial traditions Ooh. uh in relation to vampirism and I just I think my teacher thought I was absolute like a little bit gone in the head because I was just like look what I'm doing and she was like <laughs> but yeah so I, I have the same I'm absolutely obsessed still am you know absolutely yeah, vampires so that kind of brings us on to what the theme was for uh this mm-hmm. episode um we did Dracula um I thought it was a nice little kind of niche theme you know it wasn't too broad as in vampires but we're doing Dracula especially because obviously I'm Irish and Bram Stoker was Irish and we have the great Bram Stoker festival over here and I will always have a soft spot in my heart for Dracula it will always be just the most amazing thing to me I just I think it's such like I love the story that Bram Stoker was so broke by the time he died and then his character took off and now it is the most well-known character in pop culture and I just mm, I hope absolutely. wherever he is now he's just like he can see what his mm-hmm. creation came to be I just love that little romantic bit about it so um Dracula obviously was written by Bram Stoker um and it is the apart from Frankenstein it is the gothic novel um I take it you have read Dracula <laughs> hundreds of times (laughs) it's brilliant it's just so brilliant yeah and there's so many ways to read it Mm. it's just it's brilliant yeah I mean obviously we can take it as the horror novel it's also an adventure story um and it's also a love story and I love those as you said you can read it you know as uh different themes but what is the theme that stands out to you the most in the novel what I love the most is, this is kind of a weird way of reading it, I guess, but it, apparently it was sort of Stoker's intent or part of his agenda. Um, he really was not fond of British men. <laughs> and he, you know, so he created these characters. Like you have Jonathan Harker, who ends up being the damsel in distress in the castle, which readers of the time would have recognized that. They would have recognized this frail, fragile female running around a castle away from a monster. And here it's this lawyer, this British lawyer running around away from this monster in a castle. And then he has Arthur Homewood, the aristocrat. Mm -hmm. And then he's got um, Jonathan Seawald, the medical, you know, the doctor, the medical man. And then he's got Quincy Morris, the American cowboy, who's not very smart because Americans aren't. (laughs) He's got a big gun, so the girls like him. But all these men, and then you have even have Van Helsing, who's an expert on the vampire mythology, all these men together, 
cannot defeat Dracula. It's Mina who has to come in with her feminine intuition and defeat him. And when Lucy is being, you know, drained and, and it's, it, it, even, you know, when we get into Coppola, it is very sexually written in the novel, the, the way she's kind of needing and wanting blood. And these men all together can't satisfy her. Arthur gives her blood. Quincy gives her blood. The two Jonathans give her blood. Van Helsing gives blood. Together they can't satisfy her. What satisfies her? A child. Yeah. So it's like Stoker is just sticking the middle finger up to British <laughs> men. And the very fact of having this count from Transylvania come in and infect their country and there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's really brilliant. Yeah. And obviously Bram being an Irishman, we can kind of see obviously because of the, the oppression of the British, mm-hmm. um, what's the word? The, the British empire on Ireland was at its kind of, well, it has been for several hundred years, even at that point. But, you know, there was obviously mm-hmm. a lot of uh, ill feelings towards the British mm-hmm. from an Irish perspective. And he very cleverly, mm-hmm. very cleverly, very subtle, <laughs> yeah. subtle, not so subtle, put it into his novel. And um, I just love the way also he, he put, as you said, he portrayed these women as, even though they are from an era of repression, you know, they, they wear these corsets that repress them. They're not meant to show their sexuality. And this mm-hmm. whole novel is about two women in particular, you know, kind of overcoming that repression and discovering themselves. Lucy discovering has three boyfriends. Yeah, yeah, she is great. I mean, like, I loved Lucy. She is fantastic. She, lo- she wants them to, she's like, I wish I could have them all. They're great, you know? Like, <laughs> they're all kind of just a little bit okay, but together they're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, yeah. And he really, I mean, you got to think about the time he's writing. Freud's coming out. Like, there's a lot of different ideas about female sexuality coming out. And Stoker really is sort of, seems to be on the side of women having sexual feelings mm-hmm. and owning their sexual feelings. And it's such a, you know, he does these wonderful contrasts with the three, whatever you want to call them, Dracula's brides or daughters, those three women that are in the castle, they've been called a variety of things, um, basically raping Jonathan yeah. and ruining yeah. his reputation so that Mina has to sweep in and marry him and, you know, save his reputation. But at the same time, he's rescued by three nuns three asexual women or non-sexual yeah. women you know it's really Stoker's really doing a lot in the book with sexuality and sort of playing around with female sexuality that's really interesting especially for yeah. the time period yeah. yeah I just love the way he kind of flipped the, the gender roles almost um mm-hmm. as you said and obviously reading back um I heard that he was a little bit influenced by another vampire novel called Camilla and obviously that is very, uh, obviously not of its time, but it was very like pro-woman being mm-hmm, you know, anything other than a damsel in distress. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'd like to think that he kind of, he really researched and really read this and thought, you know what, <laughs> to did. really he stick to a lot of men. <laughs> he, I mean, he obviously knew the vampire mythology as well, but he was also very influenced by um, John Polidori's The Vampire, who that was written on the night when Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley and Lord Byron, they all had that contest, who can write the scary story? And of course, Percy Shelley and Byron thought they had it in the bag. They came up with nothing. And Mary Shelley (laughs) came up with Frankenstein and John Polidori, who was Byron's doctor, came up with the vampire based on Byron because Byron was such a leech. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> love it so obviously a lot of people kind of believe that dracula is influenced by vlad the impaler who was a ruler in what is now modern day romania um but really he kind of only just got the name from him didn't he um yeah well dracula the order of the dragon came from vlad the impaler but yeah i mean we don't see him impaling people and yeah um, so just to set that record straight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, not to say that I wouldn't like to go visit the castle in Transylvania. Oh, I would love to. <laughs> that would be like my ideal honeymoon spot. <laughs> we can we can do a Kickstarter, see if we can get tickets once Absolutely. this is lifted and people can travel. Yeah. Um, so then we saw, um, so Bram Stoker, unfortunately, he tried to get a play on at the Lyceum Theatre where he worked at the time as manager. Um, in fact, Dracula was very influenced. His mannerisms was very, very influenced by Henry Irving, the Victorian actor mm-hmm. who um, was owner of the Lyceum Theatre at the time. And apparently Henry Irving just wasn't having it. it was just like, no, don't like it. So poor Stoker was broke kind of by the time he died. But then it was picked up, um, kind of fast forward a bit, picked up by obviously uh, the German cinema crowd. And they produced what we all know as Nosferatu now. Um, But unfortunately, Bram Stoker's (laughs) widow, she said, no, you can't do that. (laughs) So they had to change quite a lot of things. But that was there was like a lost film as well. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but Nosferatu was the first kind of big screen mm-hmm. Dracula adapt Dracula adaptation just for uh, <laughs> copyright sake. Yeah, um, be careful. Yeah. <laughs> so what <laughs> have you seen Nosferatu? Yes. yes uh, what do you think of Nosferatu? I love it. He is so creepy. Mm. So creepy. Even mm. today it's still creepy. Mm. Yeah. Love um, it. It's terrifying. Just they were supposed Dracula. to burn all copies of they, they were told they had to burn all copies and somehow they didn't like they saved one or two yeah. and that's how we're able to see it. That's amazing. Yeah, but it's just it's such obviously in the uh, novel, Dracula isn't initially you know a beautiful aristocratic man. He is a hideous old figure and obviously in Nosferatu he is that hideous figure. He's the rat-like mm. creature and you know he's got the long fingers and the the two front teeth that are sharp. And so it's really a stark contrast to what we see in what everybody knows as the modern day Dracula now, which was uh, Bela Lugosi's Dracula from the film of 1931. So usually I get my guests to go first and introduce their films, but I think for chronological sake, we're going to start off with, with mine, which is the Dracula from 1931. So it is a supernatural horror produced by the infamous Universal Studios, who had also done, you know, um, Hunchback of Notre Dame. They had done, they w- went on to do Frankenstein and the mummy and all those famous Hollywood monsters that we know and love today. So Dracula was a pre-code film, which just in case if nobody knows, there was something called a haze code, which basically said what could and could not go into the content of uh, Hollywood films. So obviously you weren't allowed, you know, any uh, queer coded kind of uh, subjects. Um, Sexualization obviously was very frowned upon. 
Um, so Dracula was actually a pre-code one, which is great because we do see a lot of sexualization in this film, even though it was the 30s. It's a very sexy film for the time. <laughs> um, so it is directed by Todd Browning. It is based on the 1924 stage play by Dean and Balderston, which Bela Lugosi also starred in. Um, and the cinematography and uh, uncredited directorial uh, job by Karl Freund, who was a German surrealist cameraman. And you can see a lot of German surrealism influences in Dracula, um, uh, like with its set design and its camera angles. You can definitely see similarities between that and the German surrealist films. Um, so it, is, it was the first sound adaptation of the Stoker novel. Um, Todd Browning was obviously a very famous silent film director and we can kind of see that there's not a lot of dialogue there's quite a lot of uh, times where there is nothing there's no sound whatsoever um, but I think that kind of adds to the creepiness of it what do you think of the overall sound it it's interesting to me I just get so caught up in Bela Lugosi whenever I'm watching the 1931 and yeah. his deliberate delivery of the lines and how that is just like if I said to you right now do a Dracula impersonation that's what you would do you would yeah. do him yeah. you wouldn't do Absolutely. anybody else yeah. you would do him and if I said to you I want you to come to my party dressed like Dracula you would wear his costume I mean it's just so so iconic but yeah there are these odd pauses and moments of silent in the film that really made me think a lot of silent film yeah. that it was yeah. done in that style and there's the scene where um there are the boat the Vesta yeah. is coming mm -hmm. and apparently that was actually taken from another film that wasn't oh, well, made yeah. as part of 1931 it was from an, another film um and it was originally a silent film so that's why it's like choppy sped up yeah. weird looking yeah. so yeah it's just it's it's really, it's a, just an interesting kind of, it's a, it's a weird film to watch in 2021, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I mean, I um, watched it with the, so back, I think it was back in the 90s, um, Universal uh, wanted a, um, a score written for it and they re-released it with this score. So I, I mean, I've watched this film many, many times, but I've always watched it pre-score you know it didn't have the score mm. with it but I watched it this time with the score and it almost ruins it mm. it's not as like creepy or as you know like in modern day horror when there's no sound when there's no score you know something bad's gonna happen <laughs> like mm. you know so with this I feel like the score just ruined it a little bit because mm. it is meant to have that eerie anticipation you know before the count kind of appears or before we know what's really going on so I kind of felt like the score ruined it a bit which was a shame um and there's this weird moments too where they just zoom in on Lugosi and his eyes are all glowing and like there's no sound and he's just staring like that's really <laughs> scary it's very scary <laughs> so the story follows um unlike the novel it's actually uh Renfield that goes to Dracula's castle and becomes his uh, kind of familiar or his, you know, manservant. Um, whereas the novel, he is in the uh, asylum 
back in England and it's actually Jonathan Harker that goes to that's what we see whereas in this film it's uh, Renfield and he takes him back on the ship and then Renfield is obviously committed to the asylum and then we see um, we are introduced to Harker and Mina and her father and then Van Helsing and it's very I mean obviously there was a lot of budget kind of restrictions in this that's why it is so kind of compacted um, and why the story was changed a little bit and they had a lot of time constraints as well because in the evening they had to give way for the Spanish version of Dracula to be filmed <laughs> so in the morning the English version was filmed and then in the evening the Spanish version was filmed so they had a lot of time constraints as well but um, as you said, Bela Lugosi created a cultural icon in his Dracula. Like it, I don't think people understand the absolute, the absolute, you know, what's the word? Just how big it is that he played Dracula and the way he played Dracula and the costume design. Otherwise we wouldn't have the count from Sesame street and we wouldn't be going around going, but, 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 you know, that kind of way. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so what do you think as of Bela Lugosi as Dracula I mean that is what you picture there is a difference between playing a vampire and playing Dracula especially now after Bela Lugosi you know if you're going to be in a vampire film you, you can do a vampire and many vampire films look at vampires in different ways sometimes they're very animalistic sometimes they're very human mm. um but he, he is Count Dracula. Bella goes to became Count Dracula. I know he sort of had tension within him yeah. of at first not wanting to be typecast and not wanting to do more Dracula. And then later on, I think, he, you know, it seems he really, wasn't he buried in the cloak? Or he something? was, yeah. His son and his yeah, wife buried he, him in one of his capes, yeah. Yeah, he really began to embrace it. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, you can't think of anybody else when you think of Count Dracula. That's... Yeah who it is and and um you know there are people that think you know his accent's a little too Hungarian to be Transylvanian or mm -hmm. something like that but I think it's great I mean he was a second language yeah. person so he does yeah. have this odd cadence where he's not exactly mm -hmm. stressing the right word mm -hmm. in the sentence but that just makes it really good it makes yeah. it again yeah. creepier and just shows that the foreigner coming into England and contaminating all of England right. yeah yeah, I think he's just, he brought, you know, obviously before we had um, Max Schreck as, you know, in Nosferatu, he played the Dracula character and he was very ugly, very hideous. Bela Lugosi brought the sexiness, you know, without yeah. Bela Lugosi, we wouldn't have sexy vampires, <laughs> you know, there wouldn't be, you know, vampires, even in folklore, they were always hideous corpses. They weren't these sexy, beautiful people. They were corpses. Basically what mm -hmm. we think of zombies now. But Bela Lugosi, he changed that completely. He was the sexy man coming in, stealing all their women. You know, he was just the the voice, the even the way he held his hands. I love the way he holds his hands. He's always, you know, like this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was just sexy and it was dark and mysterious. And I think even as we said with Bram Stoker's novel about, you know, the repression of women's sexuality, when Bella Lugosi came out, you know, they said that women were like screaming and fainting in the theaters, but also were just like, you know, who's this? Yeah. <laughs> I just love the idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I love the idea of that. And I love the way he changed Dracula to this sex icon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let's talk a bit about um, the, the vampire lore that we see in the 1931 film, because they do introduce a few things. Um, obviously, at the beginning, we have the villagers' warnings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they obviously know all about vampires. It is an old tradition as it is mainly from Eastern Europe, from Central Europe, Asia. Um, so they know all about him and they know that at night you do not want to be going anywhere near a vampire. Mm-hmm. So we are introduced to the fact that a vampire doesn't like the day. Um, and then we have... Give Renfield a crucifix. Exactly, know, yeah. This. Yeah, so we know that obviously Dracula doesn't like anything holy because mm-hmm. he's born of the devil, obviously. Um, and then we find out that he can also transfigure into animals. And we've got that amazing, <laughs> amazing floppy bat. <laughs> that bat to look so horny. Like he looks like he's <laughs> lusting after Lucy when he's outside. Though I'm like, what? how did they do that? That bat looks positively, you know. Like he's ready to go. <laughs> I, I was, uh, I watched the Universal put out a little kind of documentary, uh, The Road to Dracula, a good few years ago, back in the 90s. And the person who was on there, whose I think father wrote the play, like the playwright for the American version of the Dracula stage show back in the 20s. And they were saying that someone had to stand behind with the bat flopping it. <laughs> But the string broke and the bat flew off into the audience. (laughs) These people were screaming and then they had to figure out how Dracula was going to like suddenly appear because obviously he's got to turn from the bat into Dracula and all the people were just like screaming because they thought it was a real bat flying into the audience. I love that little story. (laughs) I just thought it was great. (laughs) But yeah, we've got the amazing uh, floppy bat. And looking back, it is... You know, looking back at our standards, it's like, oh dear. But that was probably quite terrifying at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think. But uh, and then we also have the fact that he can uh, kind of talk to the animals. So like the wolves. Um, we're introduced to the wolf lore around vampires. Um, so so what did you think about its depiction of vampire traditions and vampire lore? Oh, and they also had the mirror. Oh, that's when right. Yes, of course. Cigarettes and they don't see him in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And Snaps, you know, yeah. that really convinces Van Helsing, especially like, yeah. oh, no, we have this vampire. I mean, I think they do a good job of it and of sort of, you know, Stoker played around with it a little bit himself. But, you know, sticking with the mythology, it is sort of what the Eastern Europeans thought vampires were now in terms of sexiness uh, you know the female vampires are sometimes considered sexy or beautiful they can be alluring mythologically especially like in like asian cultures and stuff but even some eastern european but um you know i think they did a great job of teaching audiences what a vampire is and sticking to the mythology yeah, of course, because this probably would have been most people's first introduction to the lore of the vampire, unless they had previously read or been to see the stage show of Dracula. Um, but yeah, this was the first introduction to a lot of people. Um, and I just think it's great. Like, I just love the fact that, you know, Bram Stoker's creation was brought to screen and it was, mm-hmm. 
it was it became a worldwide hit sadly it was after he died but i'm just like so would you recommend horror fans to go see to see uh dracula from 1931 absolutely absolutely you have to it's the foundation you have to you have to familiarize yourself with that one and because it just informs so many of the future films you have to see it absolutely yeah i definitely i think I think horror fans are um, guilty of being, they can be quite snobby sometimes. And, you know, oh, if it's not going to scare the pants off me, I don't care, or it's crap. But you have to kind of think of it of at its time that audiences were introduced to a completely new creature, to a completely new, you know, the, the monster isn't always very obvious. Sometimes right. it looks exactly like a normal person. You know, it's a completely mm-hmm. new idea. Um, and I think if horror fans go into that, knowing that and keeping that in mind and keeping in mind of what it was at the time, it was so kind of amazing for its time, then they definitely need to go back and watch it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Keep in mind the time period and, you know, what it was, how amazing it is for 1931. It's yeah. really quite spectacular. So that brings us on to our next Dracula film. Would you like to introduce it? Yes, we watched in 1992 Francis Ford Coppola version of yeah. Dracula, um, which sticks much closer to the novel yeah. than the 1931, although it really blows up the Mina-Dracula yeah. relationship yeah. It, to a point where it just annoys me. I like <laughs> it's so boring and just so ridiculous plus yeah. the chemistry between Winona Ryder and Gary Oldman is really really off it's just not apparently they had a lot of background kind of they weren't yeah. getting on at the best of times yeah. <laughs> yes, you, can see, you can see them kind of acting like they're in love with each other instead of feeling like they're really in love with each other but um so it was based on more in the novel, like you get this epistolatory feel to it, which is really important in the novel. Most of the novel is letters being exchanged between the main characters. Um, Jonathan Harker in the novel records his on a phonograph, which was mind blowing at the time. You know, this is the first character to really use technology to record his thoughts. And they did that in the film. Um, you know, in the novel, Dracula is, doesn't even really appear on stage for m- most of it and that's sort of they do that a bit with this film too there's a lot of the characters interacting with each other they keep the characters the way they are in the novel which yeah. it makes me yeah. batty pun intended when they mess it up and like have Renfield going to the castle yeah. and Lucy's yeah. Van Helsing's daughter you know I'm like no yeah. no 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 yeah. <laughs> there's a reason these characters are the way they are keep them away so they did that so yes Gary Oldman who really he did a Bella Lugosi he, oh absolutely he really, yeah yeah, and it's fantastic. And I can remember being in the theater and seeing the trailer for it mm-hmm. and being like, yes, yes, you know, this yeah. is going to be so good because he's really doing Lugosi. Yeah. But they made intentional decisions not to use the black cape, you know, to have him have a different sort of cape, look a little bit different. And it's just sumptuous and beautiful mm-hmm. the way it's filmed. Um, Winona Ryder is Mina. Mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves is Jonathan Harker, which is really yeah. unfortunate. Beautiful man, but unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but you the just, rest you just of the can't cast... get like, um, like from Bill and Ted, you just can't get Ted out of your mind, can you? When you're watching it, you're like, this is just Ted. Like, 
Oh, God love them. Um, but the, the supporting cast is phenomenal. Sadie Frost is Lucy and she is just sexy. And I mean, yes. the three suitors are exactly what I pictured when I read the novel before mm-hmm. I ever saw a movie. You've got Carrie Elways as Arthur Homewood and he is Arthur Homewood. Yeah. You have Richard Grant as the scientist and you have Bill Campbell as the cowboy and they mm-hmm. are perfect, perfect, yeah. perfect. Um, Tom Waits is Renfield. He's awesome. Oh. And it, it's sort of like steampunk Renfield yeah. um, sanitarium thing. Yeah. It's so cool. He almost steals and, the show. Um, Yeah, he does. He's amazing. And um, Van Helsing is a li- it's Anthony Hopkins, who's good, but sometimes he goes a little, I feel he goes a little over the top. There's enough people chewing scenery that he doesn't need to. Yeah. I wanted him to kind of slow it down. But the film keeps like my favorite scenes from the novel, like Renfield asking for a kitten, yeah. which is just so weird and creepy. <laughs> the three, you know, women attacking Jonathan Harker, the nuns, the wedding, you know, everything, the, the transfusion, all the scenes that I really love. Yeah. So despite Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves often taking me out of the movie. I, it's, it's really one that I love just because it's beautiful to look at and because I felt like they really tried in many scenes to stick to the novel as closely yeah. as they could. Maybe because the widow's long gone and she's not going to sue them and make them burn. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it, yeah. Um, well, it became a part of the public domain in the 1960s, didn't it? So. Right. Yeah. Um, But yes, as you say, it is very visually stunning. And um, Mm. apparently Francis Ford Coppola was very, very, you know, they were very, very like, no, I don't want it to be flowing capes and widow's peak. And um, so they they won Oscars for best costume design, best sound editing and best makeup. Yeah. And the costumes, if you look at them, they're so like dreamlike, which was what he wanted to, you know, um, and they're nightmarish and they're surreal. And even the one that always sticks out in my mind is uh, Gary Oldman at the very beginning where he is going off to war and his armor. And it looks like, I understand it's meant to look a bit like a dragon, but it looks more like muscles. It, like, it reminds yeah. me a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Which again, that's a nod to the Vlad, the Impaler, you know, yeah. that they start, this, which is different from the novel. They do start yeah. in a sort of different way with this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the but costume it is, costumes. Is, yeah. I mean, and of course, everyone knows the the Gary Oldman, you know, top hat, gray, kind of pale bluish mm. gray suit. It's very, you know, and the glasses as well. You know, everyone knows that. It's very, I just said, it's very steampunk. It is, yeah. That's what I was saying. And Renfield too. Like there's a, and Stewart when he's in the sanatorium, he's very steampunk. It's really cool. Yeah, it very is cool. really, really cool. Um uh, apparently the makeup was influenced a lot by Catholic iconography as well. And you can definitely see that with Gary Oldman's Dracula. He hasn't got, you know, the black widow's peak. He's got very soft curls and his makeup is very soft and it looks a lot like mm-hmm. the religious kind of uh, paintings that we see in Catholicism, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously funny because Dracula was, you know, he went, especially in the beginning scenes of the film, we see him going against the church and saying, mm-hmm. you know, why has this happened to me if I've been fighting for God? So he kind of mm-hmm. commits the, the sin. all, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is how he is created, drinks the blood 
which is obviously um, a big fuck you to the <laughs> blood of Christ. Um, so that it gives us a bit of a background of how Dracula came to be a vampire, basically, which I really appreciated because we're not shown that in the previous right. films. Um, right. and, and, you know, it's always really interesting to think about with folklore as well, like where did vampires come from? What is... Because obviously every country's got a different kind of uh, tradition. Right. You know, a lot of people, it was, if they committed suicide, they'd become vampires mm-hmm. or, you know. Mm-hmm. Or like the seventh son, the seventh son. Mm-hmm. Some people think Adam of Adam and Eve, his first wife, Lilith, Lilith yeah. when she refused to lay with him, became the first vampire. So there's all these yeah. different ideas out there. Where a vampire, how did the first one come? Yeah. So obviously a lot of... Uh, tv shows and films have covered this but i I kind of i appreciated the the opening scene Mm -hmm. for this dracula a lot um so this film it was it was a massive success yeah it grossed over 215 million dollars and obviously won three oscars um what were you kind of, you said that you kind of saw the trailer in the cinema. Do you remember how successful it was? Was a lot of people talking about it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody kind of, you know, got really excited about it. I mean, it was beautiful. It was kind of loud, too. And it ends with Gary Oldman going, ho, 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 and this really loud, like, demonic chuckle that, it, you know, kind of gives you chills up your spine. And and I can, I can remember being really captivated with it. Like, I was reading all the Entertainment Weekly articles about it and one of the things I love about the novel is that the three suitors um despite competing over Lucy and despite some of them even feel having feelings for Mina they're they remain loyal to each other they don't ever turn on each other they you know they're there for each other the whole way through and apparently when filming Dracula um, Coppola really wanted to portray and you, you do get that vibe when you're watching a film like all oh, these guys dig each other and so I guess um, Carrie Elwes, Billy Campbell and they would do all these little like retreats together and do fun things together to bond with each other so that it was really obvious that even though they're fighting over these women they really you know bros before hoes they've got each other's back the whole way through yeah um, one character who I absolutely loved was Richard E. Grant's character I just thought because he was so tortured at the same time and you really felt his pain of you know not Lucy obviously didn't choose him and obviously there's uh, little things to him perhaps having an addiction problem and it's just oh, he just plays him I love Richard E. Grant anyway but he just yeah. he's he's almost the breakout character for me you know I didn't really care that much for Mina and Jonathan and Van Helsing I cared more about him and Lucy and yeah the other two suitors and I really loved the way that they weren't just cast aside as side characters to just further along the story like Francis really took care with those characters and I think mm-hmm. that's how Stoker would have wanted mm-hmm. them to be portrayed I think so, yeah. yeah I mean Seward remained her loyal doctor despite her picking Homewood yeah. and, and, and I think they all they all did such a fantastic job of conveying that like when she would be an invalid in bed and and you know like Quincy would come sit in her bed and she would go kiss me Quincy you know like the the pain on his face of like I just want to scoop her up and kiss her and love her but she's not mine anymore you know yeah. it just really they did such a great job yeah and especially I just 
I love the way Lucy was portrayed as well. Her costumes were fantastic. Like a mm-hmm. showgirl's dream. They're just yeah. like, no wonder they won best costume design. I think it was just alone for her costumes. Um, and I just love the way, because she is such a vivacious character and they portrayed mm-hmm. that. You know, thank God. Sometimes yeah. she's such a stick in the mud in the movies. Yeah, I mean, she's writhing on the bed and having sex with like the wolf-like Dracula, and yes, and then the scene yeah. where they they go to her um, crypt and and she's not there, and she comes walking down with the baby, and she's almost in like a bridal. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing, amazing. Yeah. And she, she, especially in this film as well, as in the book, she is the embodiment of female sexuality and not mm-hmm. not being repressed even before she's made into a vampire she's very like you know she might be of the aristocracy but she does not care you know she will be who she yeah. wants to be and she will express it how she wants to express it and I love the way that the, the film didn't shy away from that no and Stoker really made that very clear when after Lucy died and children were being attacked mm-hmm. the children would say oh it was a blue lady she had red red lips like basically a prostitute they were confusing her with a prostitute so he was very clear about there's a real sexual part to this and yeah. she's you know kind of beholden to her sexual lust it's re- whereas in the 1931 Lucy's the woman in white yeah which is not <laughs> Yeah, not at <laughs> all. Nurses were white. <laughs> what, what <laughs> yeah, so as we've said before, this Dracula is a bit more of, a bit closer to the novel and a bit closer to the themes and the kind of uh, messages that I assume that Bram Stoker kind of wanted to purvey. Um, so would you recommend this film to vampire and horror movie lovers? <laughs> and- yes, I mean, it's what I... Um- in my, in my pay my bills life, I'm an academic and I've mm-hmm. taught many courses on vampires, on monsters. And, you know, for a while I had the twi hard girls who would come in and say, mm-hmm. Edward Cowan's a vampire. <laughs> like, no, 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 you need to watch Gary Oldman and 30 Days of Night. Yeah. That's a vampire. <laughs> you know, I was trying to give them these other vampire films and say, yeah. no, no, no. You know, this is what vampires are all about. And then they would yeah. come back and say, oh my gosh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely, I would 100% recommend this. Again, go into it knowing that Winona Ryder and, and uh, Keanu Reeves are going to be a little, it's almost like they're in a different movie from yeah. everybody else, sort of how it feels, and just kind of push that aside and, and, and just enjoy. Gary Oldman just choose the scenery like it's nobody's business. It's fantastic. And like you said, the costumes are amazing and the, the supporting characters are fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I just like the way as well. Also, you know, we said that back in the 30s, Dracula kind of introduced everyone to the theme of Dracula. Whereas I feel that the 1992 Dracula almost did the same, you know. I mean, Mm. obviously we had like the 80s vampires, but and that was all about, you know, modern teenagers, young people um, rebelling that kind of thing whereas the 1992 Dracula really brought it back to its roots and introduced a whole new generation to the gothic you know mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's why it's quite an important film um, and I really appreciate the way that Gary Oldman did because he's already said that Bela Lugosi was his favorite Dracula and I really like the way yeah. he paid homage to him and I especially oh. like the way they kept in the line I don't drink dot 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 wine <laughs> 
<laughs> I remember being in the theater and being like, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. He does it children of the night too, but that wine one is so good. Yeah. So good. Um, so out of the two films, which one would you p- pick over the other? I think I have to say the 1992, probably just because I can sit through it more times. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, I do, I really do love it. You know, like I said, I love the three suitors. I love Lucy. I love Renfield. It's just so amazing. I love that they really tried to be faithful to the novel as much as possible. Um, not a fan of the love never dies and yes. I crossed oceans yeah. in time to be with you nonsense. <laughs> you know, like, at that point, I'm like, okay. Oh, <laughs> One thing, though, I think um, I just want to touch on what's always sort of weird to me in the Dracula, and I can understand Stoker doing it because he's from a different time, but in all the Dracula films, he dies very easily. Yeah. Like, once they find yes. him, it's like, boom, gone. Which yeah. is sort of for a horror film strength. We're used to the guy, you know, he comes back, he keeps yeah. coming back, you can't yeah. kill him. Dracula just kind of dies. It's really yeah. odd. I mean, I remember the first time I read the novel, I thought the exact same thing. It was building up and it was building up and build, and then it was like, and he's dead. <laughs> You're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh. oh okay. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean... <sighs> I think with um, Francis Ford Coppola's one, you kind of, you're given the sense that he's weary and he's tired and he's really feeling the curse of his vampirism. And, you know, he, he's gone all this way because he just wants to be reunited with his love. And, I mean, he really created like a love film more than anything. Yes, he did. Absolutely, and he did. I think the reason that he kind of killed over at the end was because he was just like, you know what, fuck it. (laughs) I need to sleep. (laughs) Although that film dragged it out more than others because they they kill him. And then Harker says, they start to go after him again. And Harker says, wait, 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 wait. Our work's done. Hers has just begun. (laughs) And then Nina drags him into his castle and they have like this moment, you know, and she's kissing him. It's gross because he's starting to decompose and stuff. And she's kissing him. My love, my love. So they have more of a like drawn out Mm. gasping. Yeah. Yeah. It's very Apparently in in 31, Lugosi did like gasp and stuff at the end and they cut that out. Oh, really? Yeah, he was kind of in his death throes and they thought that was a little too much for the audience to hear him. (laughs) Might be able to cope with the horror of it all. (laughs) But yeah, I think, see, for me, I think I would recommend the 30s, the 1930s one over just because it created such a cultural icon. Um, And I think it's good for people to know the roots of horror. (laughs) For me to actually, let me, let me step back and rewind. <laughs> For me to recommend 1992, you should watch 31 first. You should yeah. know where Gary Oldman's getting this. Yeah, in you fact, know, just have he, it as a double bill, you know. Yeah. The yeah. 1930s one is only an hour and 15 minutes long, you know. Mm-hmm. You can make a whole evening of Dracula, watch the 30s one, and then you can do the two hours of the 92 Dracula. <laughs> it's like me and you just skim through the love scenes and then it's a little shorter <laughs> yeah just just ignore the love scenes um you know I'm all for love and horror but bleh. <laughs> I don't know whether it's because it was like um Winona Ryder I was just a bit like <laughs> yeah. like I said they just had no chemistry so it makes it really painful to watch yeah. it's 
it's like Absolutely a high school not. Romeo and Juliet or something it's yeah <laughs> um so would there be any other Dracula films that you would recommend people watch as well um well I mean the Christopher Lee's you know that's those are good those are all really really good um I like the recent Netflix one they had that four episode that was interesting oh, the one from the BBC yeah that was really interesting they did yeah. some different things with that uh, at first I wasn't sure I was going to be you know okay with but I started mm-hmm. to really like that um and then I have a million vampire films I could recommend yeah, but that's not what we're talking about we're talking about Dracula yeah I like that new BBC one I thought that was really an interesting but again yeah. if you're going to watch that you have to watch Bela Lugosi you have you know you have to that Bela Lugosi one you have to have that that's the foundation yeah before you move yeah. forward with anything yeah. else and did you ever see the Dracula Untold with uh, Luke? Oh, what's his surname? Oh, I saw it like years and years ago. Yeah, yeah. A few years ago now. I barely remember that one. And it, yeah, it's probably best. <laughs> but it showed, you know, the how he became Dracula. Um, what I do love is the What We Do in the Shadows film and TV oh. series where they have like the Nosferatu vampire, yeah. they have like the <laughs> Vlad vampire, they have like yeah. all the different kinds of vampires. It's so funny. If you're yeah. if you are a vampire fan of vampire films, that's for you because they just yeah. they do a takeoff on all of them. It's yeah. really I love it. Yeah. The the bit where uh, he goes down to the the Nosferatu character's coffin. And he's like crunching on all the chicken bones and all this. It's <laughs> hilarious. It made me laugh so much. It makes me laugh all the time. Um, but yeah, the the Dracula kind of franchise. I don't. I always think that perhaps we had like the '30s Bela Lugosi, we had Christopher Lee, and then Gary Oldman, and there hasn't really been anyone to make a, another pivotal Dracula that you can really be like the. You know, he's part of the. The tradition of Dracula. There hasn't yeah, been agree. anyone since Gary Oldman, which is a shame. I agree. Um, hopefully we'll get that in the future. Or maybe not. Maybe we should just put Dracula to bed or back to his coffin mm-hmm. even. <laughs> put a pin in it, yeah. Yeah. Um, did you ever read the Dracula sequel uh, book? Um, that woman wrote? <sighs> I can't remember. It, it was... Um, what, like Stoker's great nephew or something I think oh no not that one no yeah. I can't remember what it was called let me I'm just gonna look it up I read it when we went into lockdown this time last year I went to my library and got out a load of books and I read it and it's it carries on the story of Mina and Jonathan and their son oh. um yeah so they named after Lindsay, yeah yeah I mean you can read it it's not good but because <laughs> it, <laughs> it goes more into the love story of Mina and Dracula, um, uh, yeah. So it's a bit, it's a bit wishy washy. But it also introduces um, Elisabetta, who is obviously uh, Dracula's uh, wife in the 1992 uh, film. But they have her as Elizabeth Bathory. Yes, of course they do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other most famous vampire. Yeah. That we have. It is called Dracula the Undead by Dacher Stoker. I'll read it and take it with a grain of salt. Yes, do. (laughs) Take it as just like, you know, one of those kind of uh, cheesy romance novels that people read, a bit of light reading. Um, So, yeah, so 
that was a great discussion on Dracula. I really enjoyed that. I love chatting about Dracula anyway. So, <laughs> um, so just to round us out before we go, what is your favorite horror film? See, now because we're talking about vampires, I do want to say 30 Days of Night. I just yeah. think that is an amazing film. It's one I watch constantly. Yeah. I love the vampires in it. They yeah. are scary. They, I, are, they are scary. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, I think that's probably one of my favorites. You know, I think yeah. just because I have vampires yeah. on the brain right now, but yeah, it's probably one of my Was favorites. it a graphic novel first? Yes. yes it and is. it looks like a graphic yes. novel. The yeah, way it's that's filmed. Why, yeah. it's really interesting way yeah and I love the way it just turns it on its head that you know of course why wouldn't vampires take over towns that are in darkness for you know 30 days of the year like it makes so much more sense (laughs) it's just fantastic yeah anyone who hasn't seen it you need to see it like it's a great film the vampires you know they're they're not as sexy but they're scary so scary. scary and they're um, very violent very animalistic i mean they would yeah. just rip you apart it's yeah, very absolutely. scary and josh harner is brilliant in it oh he's so good yeah i know a lot of he's people so think of him as like teen heartthrob but he's actually like he's got such acting chops on him like he's great well he was also in the penny dreadful series where he he was actually like the quincy morris character yeah, I, I, see, I think that. i've only seen the first episode of the first series yeah um, he's sort of the quincy morris he's the cowboy so you'd recommend mm-hmm. penny dreadful oh yeah and when you want to talk about costumes when we were watching that i said to my husband i said if i could be an extra on any set anywhere Anytime in the world, you know, throughout the history of time, it would be this. There's this a ballroom scene where they're all dancing yeah. and they're in the most beautiful gowns I've ever seen. They are yeah. so exquisite. Yeah. So the detailing on them. I was like, I would just love to wear one of those gowns just once, yeah. <laughs> just okay. for five minutes. Just try it on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love films that make you feel like that. You're like, I just want to wear that dress. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what is the scariest film you've ever seen? Oh, I had so many that, you know, it's funny. I have some that I like, I remember watching Children of the Corn and being like, this isn't scary. And then having nightmares the whole night about it. <laughs> um, the Strangers scared me. Yeah. You know, I just that whole, you know, why? Because you were home. Like, oh, no, you know, yeah. come on. I'm always home. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Just things like that that just really, mm. you know, I, they just stay with you for a long time mm-hmm. you know it takes you a couple nights to turn that light out when you're going to bed yeah <laughs> I what found about the, you? Uh, the scariest film I've ever seen um I don't know I mean when I first saw The Exorcist that is my favorite horror film uh, when I first saw The yeah. Exorcist that kind of creeped me out a little bit um mm-hmm. I don't there's a film an Irish film called The Devil's Doorway um which is great definitely recommend it it's very creepy um it's set against um kind of a very dark part of irish history um i don't know if you've heard about the the magdalene laundries so the magdalene Mm -hmm. laundries are where unwed mothers and pregnant people were sent and they were very abused by the catholic church okay Mm -hmm. um so very dark dark but it's set against that but in a really respectful way but it's still scary as hell. <laughs> Scared the absolute bejesus out of me. Um, but I don't know. Like, I think that's such a hard question, especially nowadays, looking back. Like, obviously, back in the day when I saw a horror film and I was very young, I was like, oh. Yeah. 
Yeah, like Friday the 13th freaked me out when I was a kid. You know, yeah. now I watch him. Yeah. You know, Freddy Krueger was scary exactly, when I was yeah. a kid. Now yeah. But now I just, I, I don't know. Um, see, I even watched Martyrs the other day. And apparently that's meant to be, you know, the most fucked up film ever. And I was just like, eh. <laughs> no, so. I think it's hard. I think I'm still searching. You developed an film. immunity. <laughs> you do, yeah. You become really desensitized. And I think I'm still searching for that film that freaks me out. It's like a journey for me. <laughs> oh, Blair Witch freaked me out too. Yes, actually. That would probably be one really of the cool. films that freaked me out. Yeah. Especially the a end long scene. time. To, yeah. yeah. The very final scene, I had nightmares about that for days and yeah. days and days after. That definitely made me go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, thank you so much for. Oh, it's so much fun. Yes. Um, I always enjoy chatting about Dracula. And I especially I love it when we've got like a novel or, you know, literature as the root and the background. And I just love doing that. Um, I just I love it that somebody else wants to talk about Dracula. Yeah. People around me are like, enough <laughs> about Dracula, we know. <laughs> it would be great if we could do a gothic literature series. Oh, yeah. My dear. So we could do idea. Frankenstein next. I think. Uh, yes. Very good. Yeah. Okay. So thank you very much. So that was my chat there with Elaine Pascal about Dracula and two Dracula films. So that's 1931's Universal Studios Dracula uh, starring the great Bela Lugosi, who was perhaps the Dracula. You know, I don't think there's anyone else who can really hold a torch to him. Um, Sorry, Christopher Lee fans, but nah. Um, <laughs> and then we have Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, starring Gary Oldman as the Count, who took a lot of inspiration from Bela Lugosi. Um, so as always, if you have any uh, ideas about this week's subject, if you think there are better depictions of Dracula, or if you think Dracula isn't really all that great, um, get in touch with us over on our social media. So that's Instagram and Facebook, What A Scream Podcast. Uh, we are also on Twitter, What underscore Scream. And then we are also on Letterboxd. So you can keep up to date with what films are coming up. So nothing gets spoiled and you can kind of do a watch along and it's all fun. Um, and then also you can get in touch with me. Perhaps would you like to be a guest do you think that you have enough, enough expertise on horror movies to come guest with me and chat horror movies? I'm always welcome, uh, welcoming everybody to come be a guest on this, no matter what walk of life you're from. Um, so email me at whatascreampodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to, chill, chill, blah, 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 to also check out um, the mini episodes that go up every week, they are review episodes with my sister Neve, and we chat about uh, and review films that have recently been released or might have gone under your radar. Um, last week, we did a film called Violation. This week is Saint Maud, um, and we have a good few films coming up as well. Um, so as always, I hope you are uh, staying safe and you're taking care of yourself. And as always, stay horrific. Goodbye.